You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. Keep the mic down. Understand. It is always sweet to hear the Word of God out loud. I'm a little partial to that one, though, but uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Um, as we read there, um, and just want to reiterate, if, if you are new to our church, we're really glad you're here. Um, you're joining us as we're kind of coming to the tail end of this series. We, uh, we like preaching through a lot of different ways. Sometimes we talk about different topics as needed. Um, but my own personal preference is to just take books of the Bible and just walk through it. And part of that is for hopefully you get something out of it. Honestly, part of it is also for you to be able to see and, and observe uh, just the treatment of the scriptures and for you to be able to do that on your own. That's really some of our goal here. It's not just for you to learn how to hear it, but for you to learn also how do you uh, t- um, tackle the scriptures, the, the revealed word of God. So we're going through this one letter called Ephesians because it's written to uh, this place called Ephesus, a city, but it was really to many churches there. And the theme of this larger series has been kind of looking at the beauty of this multicultural church of God because there's a lot of discussions of reconciliation, different peoples coming together to be one. And this idea that we've been, and hopefully you've been seeing it, as much as these things have relevance for us individually, it's meant for a people. It's meant for a community. And there's this incredible mystery about being the people of God. It's like, I don't know what you think about what the church is, but it is a tremendous mystery of what God can do to take people from all different backgrounds and say, you're mine, but now you're mine together in the midst of this one new people called the church. And we saw that in Ephesus, and now we get to also see it in places like 2021 in Baltimore, here at the village, that this multicultural, multi-ethnic community is actually called the body of Christ. It's not just an organization. It's not just a structure. It's not just a meeting. It's actually in the scriptures called the body of Christ. What that means is Jesus is the head and you all are, we're all part of his body. And if you think about it in another way, Jesus, how he represents himself to the world is through you, through us. That's how he wants to be known. It's, it's amazing. It's a great mystery. And, and knowing who we are then as this people of God, it should actually make a difference in our lives. Like knowing who God has called us to be as the church, it should actually make, make our lives different. And for some of you, that might sound really obvious. Like, well, duh, why would we be here if our lives are not any different? But just in my own observation, I think it's a real matter for us to wrestle through. Like, what does it look like to actually be part of the church and for lives to change? Um, just in questions I have with people who are walking through real doubts right now, and, and I, don't, I don't know if you're a, a you, you must be aware, just, just a lot of questioning on what it means to be part of the church. Whether you want to call it deconstruction, or you want to call it just questions of faith or journey, like a lot of people are asking, why do I even want to be part of the church? And for me, and there's, a, it's, there's no way to answer that with like one answer, but I think some of it is a lot of people are looking at their life and saying, does it really affect my life to be part of the church? Is there any discernible difference? Or I look at those people, they're really part of the church, like all the time, but there's a disconnect in the display of their life to what they say they believe as being part of this community. And, and I think... There's got to be an intellectual honesty where we ask ourselves, does being part of this community help us to actually navigate through some of the real questions of life? Real questions that are hard. 
real issues. And that's what we're looking at today in a little bit. Um, How does being part of this revolutionary people called the church, and guys, don't get it twisted, the church was meant to be revolutionary. Some of y'all, from your experience, you might think the church is kind of just trying to like be semi-relevant in a world where it's losing ground really quickly, kind of lame sometimes, using music that was popular 20 years ago. You know, whatever you want to say, but don't get it twisted. The church was intended to be revolutionary. It was meant to be powerful. And how is then being part of that going to make an actual impact on our lives and how we look even today? Because we were intended to live in fullness. Now, I'm going to unpack that, but let me pray because we need prayer and all that we do, but especially as we go into the words of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Help, Heavenly Father, help us. Even as we sang, come Lord Jesus. It's astounding how we can do all this stuff in, in churches all over the place and sometimes even just forget it's about you. Help us to never forget that, Lord. We're centered on Jesus. And we also pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, as we're going to look at here in, this, in these scriptures, may you even do a holy provoking in our hearts of how much we try to do without the presence of your spirit. Remind us, Lord, we're intended to live in power. We're meant to be revolutionary. We're meant to be different. But there's no way we can do that just because we're trying to be better people. We need your presence. So guide us through this word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just want to kind of address the elephant room. Even as I said, live in fullness, some of you might have experienced different feelings. Like, you know, you hear live in fullness. You're like, man, like fullness isn't really the way I would best describe my life right now. Maybe some of you are, and just for you to know, it's absolutely okay for you to sit here and feel that. Um, I know I mean, I'm, I guess this is my job, so I'm supposed to, I should be able to say I'm living in fullness all the time. I don't know if I would describe my life fully like that. Sometimes I feel like I'm limping along. Fullness, like if I'm a car, I'm like when that nut thing is kind of getting to near the bottom, it's like, you're like, all right, how many miles per gallon to my car? And you start to do quick math and you're hoping you remember and like, can I make it to the gas station? Like some of us feel like that. Like life doesn't feel full. It feels like you're barely holding on. Uh, we have this one soccer ball in our home, and it is a poor soccer ball, right? Because we look at it every time we want to play, and we're like, all right, where's the pump? And then I think another half hour, right? Look for the pump. Where's the needle? Okay, another 15 minutes. We finally find it. <laughs> Get it all inflated. Go outside. Play for a little bit. But there's something jacked up about that ball. By the time we're done, it back deflated again, right? It's like down. And that's like some of us. Like when I look at a soccer ball, I think of some of you and it gives me a moment to pray for you guys because I feel that describes us like we might even feel kind of inflated and we go into the world and we're like, all right, I can do this. I can tackle. I can live for God. I can be responsible. I can be a whole. And then by the end of the day, you like all scrunched in, air sucked out of you. Like someone pump me back up. I'm dying here. And some of you not even started inflated. You already started and it's like even more. And it's hard. It's hard. Maybe for some of you, and I I know there's no way that every description hits all of us, but maybe for some of us, as I've gotten to talk to many of you, it's this kind of pervasive sense of busyness. Some of you are like really, really busy. Um, Like even as you got a calendar that's intended to help you manage your life, life's gotten to where it feels like your calendar's running you. Like, you, you, you hate looking at your calendar. All you see is, like, blue or pink or whatever your color your, uh, your calendar is, right? Like, there's no space there. Like, I'm running from thing to thing, responsibility to person to media. Like, I got no space to breathe. Responsibilities, deadlines, obligations. I mean, you're just trying to keep up. And the thing is, I mean... And I think it helps, like some of us, we look to like things like vacations or maybe a weekend off, and, and that, that's good. I mean, that's called Sabbath. That's actually a really good thing and can feel great, but it doesn't really take care of sometimes that feeling of dread, right? that feeling of busy. I mean, sometimes for some of us, it actually makes it feel worse because you're like, oh yeah, I'm chilling today, reading my book, listening to my podcast, drinking my drink, you know, having a good time. But man, it's waiting for me after, 
and all the work I didn't do this weekend is like that much more coming back to it. You like your inattention to the matters of life actually feels like it's increasing the burden upon your shoulders. Maybe I'm just projecting here. No, if, if none of this feels relevant, cool. You just like nap for half an hour here, but. <laughs> and here's the thing, that sense of busyness or whatever is on you, it trickles down into your relationships. And here's a real silly example, but I usually do the drop-off for my kids in the morning going to school. And I'm thinking, okay, I got to drop off. But if I know I've got meetings after or I got things I got to get done, there is like this like little push I'm feeling on me. Got to drop them. Ooh, even if you're two minutes late, you're going to hit that like crowded patch of all these cars. And like people turn into devil in school drop-off lines. It's crazy, right? You got like soccer moms who turn into like uh, Dwayne Johnson, right? They looking at you with the eye and it's like scary, right? But it, it's crazy because that sense of busyness, for me at least, it presses on me. And the more and the more I know I've got stuff waiting for me and every minute is getting pushed further back, what do I see? It starts affecting my relationships with others, starting with the other drivers of those cars. People I'm called to love, I'm like, you are my nemesis. That spot wasn't calling out to me, not to you. And you start getting mad. You start getting mad at the people in your life because you're thinking, who's holding me back here? Who's making my life busy? You start getting mad at the people that you're supposed to meet. If I didn't have that meeting, I wouldn't feel so... And it just trickles down into our relationships as well. And the thing is, like, sleep is even really welcome at the end of a day like that. I don't know if any of you look forward to sleep. I look forward to sleep. But there is some underlying dread because you know you can go to sleep, but when you wake up, it's just waiting for you again. So sleep is almost not comforting in a way. And maybe if for some of you, it, it doesn't even feel like you're keeping up, but it's you're just trying not to drown any further. Like that ball, you know, you deflated and exhausted. This is cheery, huh? You're like, oh man. If this is your first time here, like, I, I came in here for a pep talk. You stink, dude. Um, but here's the hope. And here's always the hope, even in the midst of bad news, and maybe some of you feel like life is a little bit of that bad news. That's why it's called good news. Because even into that, God offers good news. So let, let's look at Paul's words starting in verse 15 here. Verse 15, he says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And, you know, sometimes we'll hear things like, there has been no busier time in the history of mankind in 2021 with the advent of technology and all of these means to connect us, yet we feel more. And, you know, some of that's really true. Certain factors in our modern times, I probably heightened that feeling of feeling like we've got too much. But it's interesting that even in this first century audience that Paul's addressing, it seems like they maybe even struggle with not feeling like they're able to get to everything they need to. Like that time is passing by. Time is moving. They've got to be attentive to these things. That life is getting away from them. It's why Paul says, pay careful attention. That it's the, it's the reminder for us, we, if default will not let that happen, that we need to have a purposeful engagement with the life that we have. And that phrase here, making the most of the time, literally can be understood as buying up the time. Like that's, that's the original language there, that sense of um, you want to buy the time. You want to buy up so that you're not losing it. And, and in attention to our time then, it can be this dangerous path because time is fleeting. And some of you have observed that. Wise attention can help us to manage the days that God has given us. The time that seems like it really gets away from us. And again, I want to just be mindful, even as some of you are listening to this, you're not feeling good news yet. You're like, um, yo, Holmes, where that good news stuff you talk about? I'm getting more stressed listening to you. Because for some of us, you think that you already kind of do this. You're like, I'm actually very attentive to my time. I feel every second getting away from me, like every day and every night, I'm kind of regretting all those moments that I feel like are gone now and I can't, I'm actually really paying attention, but it's kind of stressful. Because it doesn't feel like giving attention is your issue. You're like, I'm giving a lot of attention. That's why I'm so stressed. 
Maybe your struggle is that you already feel consumed with what you have before you. And when you think of like language of buy back the time, you're like, dude, I'm taking out loans to buy out times that I already don't have. Like I'm plenty buying the time. Like some of you say you're, you're like, you're writing checks that your mind, body and soul can't cash. Like you feel like you're falling behind. And that's, that's where that idea that we have here is key. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Wisdom is a key matter here for our perspective because we talk about wisdom a lot in our church, right? This idea of wisdom that in the scriptures, wisdom is not just knowing more. It's not just having searched more Wikipedia pages and knowing all the, it's actually living with a healthy fear of God. Like biblical wisdom is living with a healthy fear of God. Like it talks about in the book of Proverbs, put another way, wisdom is living with a fear of God and living with a fear of God is living like God is real. You know, I've said this thing multiple times. Fear of God is living like God is actually real. That he actually is with us. He sees what we do. He, he knows. He's here. And here, here's why. If we're not attentive, we can get sucked into a life that is very active, very busy, and it's pulling us in all sorts of directions. But when it says here that the days are evil, part of what it's implying is that if we're not attentive, if we're not purposeful, our focus will be drawn continually to things that fail to acknowledge the reality of God in our life. Like if we're not attentive, we will be very busy. We'll be very attentive, but it's not necessarily going to help us to draw closer to the presence of God in our life. And I just want to qualify. I'm not saying that means you need to be in church every day. Some people, they might try to guilt you. See, all the things that you're spending your time on, your Netflix queue, your, your hobbies, your, that's all drawing your focus away from God. You need to be at church more. I don't think that's what it's saying, but it's asking even the things that don't seem very spiritual, how does it help you to engage in the real presence of God in your life? Or doesn't it? And I think it's a helpful question for us to pause on for a moment here. How, how much of what occupies your energy right now? Just think about it. Just, just pause for a second. Think about for yourself, how much of what occupies your energy helps you and helps others to live in the presence of God? And again, I'm not saying it has to be like real spiritual, holy moly stuff, like Bible studies, like just life, but how much helps that and how much maybe hinders that? And can you just take a, a moment to breathe with me on that and just sit on that? I know that's weird in the middle of a sermon, but just sit on that for a moment. Let the spirit of God prompt you. Ask yourself. And if you're like me, even, and I want to be really careful here, right? Even really spiritual or church things, if we're not attentive and careful about it, it can work to draw us away from the presence of God rather than what it's intended to, to draw us into the presence of God but we've got to pay attention. We've got to be attentive. We've got to be mindful. So Paul then starts to walk us to understand a path of wisdom and how to redeem our days. Verse 17, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. So we can march forward, um, in so much of life without a real sense of purpose, but wisdom, as it says here, is to seek God's will. Don't just be willy-nilly, busy, hectic, doing a lot, let your calendar running you, but seek out actively God's will. That's what paying attention is, not letting your life rule you, but you have certain abilities to rule your life. You have certain things within your control. That doesn't mean you can control everything. And you know, that's one of those lessons of life as you get older. There are some things absolutely out of your control that you can't do. But wisdom is also recognizing what are some things I do have within my hands that maybe I need a little bit more attention to because so it doesn't lead me down that deflating sense of life that I've been doing. And Paul gives us this instruction then in verse 18 against getting drunk. And this was particularly important for this the, the times that he's speaking to in Ephesus, because it was the center of Greek culture. Ephesus was a cultural mover and shaker city, and overindulgence was the rule. Like, it was about party and party hard. Like, go big or go home when it came to partying, especially when it came to wine. 
and libations and, and just indulging in those things. So it's important why Paul is prohibiting drunkenness here Because what I'm trying to say, it's not so much about the alcohol consumption itself. Obviously, that was the the context he's talking into. And and I would say for some of us, it's important to also recognize that. Um, Because the issue, whether it's alcohol or whether it's other things, it's the product of it. The result, it's reckless living. He said, don't get drunk because it leads to reckless living. Maybe a way we can think about reckless living... It's, it's a loss of control in regards to our choices, how we make decisions. In, in some ways, the drunkenness, it's leading to a reckless life, which puts one in a place where you're unable to pay careful attention to your life. That's what he's saying. He's like, you need to pay careful attention to life because you're getting smashed. You're not able to pay careful attention to your life. So just real practically here, um, for some of us, ask yourself, why do I drink? And just, I'll be really clear. This is just my philosophy, and I don't know if we should pause on this so I don't get hay mail. I don't think the Bible says it's a sin to drink. Maybe we shouldn't. No, sorry, God. <laughs> I don't think the scriptures can say it. I don't think you can make a really like cogent argument from scripture that it is wrong to enjoy alcohol, for instance. Um, But I think it's wisdom to ask, is your consumption of things like alcohol or whatever, fill in your blank, does it affect your ability to make wise choices? Does it put you in a place where you're you're not able to actually pay attention to your life because what's the reason some of us drink? So you don't have to think about your choices, right? Let's just be honest here, right? Some of the reasons that some of us might want to drink is you have had a killer of a day. You don't want to think about all those things. You just want to think about that beautiful bottle in front of you because it takes you away. And again, it's not bad to rest and enjoy, but does it lead you to a recklessness where you're not able to then pay attention to the life God has placed in front of you, the people he's placed in front of you? So you ask yourself, why do I drink? Is it to enjoy God's gifts or is it more as an escape? And again, that line can be kind of muddied. Um, Ask yourself, how does alcohol affect me? I I think that's just a real question some of us ask. Um, Is the reality one thing? And I'm just going by what I've heard from others. I, I have no understanding of these kind of things. But from what I've heard... Some people, they drink, they get really angry, right? Like it just takes the emotions you're already feeling and you just get really angry. I'll be honest, that was me, okay? Um, I, I was an angry drunk. Again, we might need to do some editing after. It's all good, because my mama's probably watching this. It's all right, though. I was an angry drunk. Most of the conflicts I got into was when I was drinking, because I was PO'd at life, ticked off, angry. You get a little bit in me and that little bit turned into a lot. What's the next thing? I'm on the street looking for someone to mess up. It would be wrong for me to point to the alcohol as the problem. Like that, that, that was in my heart, but it definitely helped to bring it out. And just, I'm practically ask yourself, what kind of effect do those things have on you? Does it help you to be more sober-minded, not in like a holy moly way, but more in terms of your ability to make decisions, choices, navigate life? And, and I, I'm, again, when I'm saying alcohol, I'm throwing anything that we take in that has an influence on us. How does it affect our ability to navigate life in a way where we're paying careful attention to the days God has given us? Because that's the point of the rest of Paul's words here. In contrast to getting drunk on alcohol, Paul's instructing to be filled by the Spirit. And man, that's a whole other series. We won't get someone smarter than me to teach on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But really simply, when you think about the Holy Spirit, we believe that there's one God and he's in three persons. I know that's really complicated. We can talk about water, ice, fake, whatever, right? But there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All of them are God with different functions, coexisting at the same time. Um, this, some real hardcore theologians are going to say, you really messing this up. I'm going to say this. When I think about the Holy Spirit, one of the biggest things about it is this idea, God wants to be with you. If you need to boil down 
what the Holy Spirit is, is that there is a God who is so in love with you, so enamored with you, so desiring to be with you, that he wants to actually be present inside you. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and this, is, this might feel ticky-tack, but I just want to be clear because sometimes we'll say things like, God is in us. Oh, kind of. But let's like, God the Spirit resides within those who are Christian. Those whose lives have been transformed. You actually have the presence of God within you. Helps you to, it's like a counselor, advice, guidance, all these different things. Power. But man, isn't that powerful in our society that we live in when, uh, and I, I, know, I love when I hear Pastor Julius talk, because he, he always wants to talk about the cancel, because it's so real. I don't know what you think about me. I like people. I, I really do. But man, even as kind of a people person, I get kind of tired of people. Especially if they're not nice to me. I don't want to be with people. Because my Netflix queue doesn't talk back to me. My Cheetos, they don't, they don't talk smack back. And you know, I like kind of sometimes to just be myself. I want to distance myself. But how amazing that there's a God who knows everything about us even the stuff that we're trying to run away from, even maybe some of the reason we're drinking. And what does he want to do? I want to be with you. I choose to be with you. Choose to be present with you. In a world where so many people want to get away from everyone else, it's the radical nature of this God, God with us. Jesus came to this world, and then he gave us his spirit who desires to be with you all the time, not just when you're holy moly in church, pretending to sing the songs with your hands up in the air, not when you're going to all the meetings and doing everything that you think a good Christian should be doing, but maybe even some of your worst moments. You're like, am I really a Christian? <laughs> wow. If I were a Christian, why am I thinking like this, acting like this, treating people like this? Even in those moments, if you're genuinely in Christ, God has promised his spirit to be his sign that he's with you, dwelling within us. That's unbelievable. That astounds me because sometimes I don't want to be with myself. But God does. God does. So it's important, having said that about the Spirit, to recognize that some of the parallels here are superficial. What I mean by that? Some might say, hey, don't lose control under the influence of alcohol, but instead be drunk in the Spirit. Like, don't lose control because of this, but lose control in God. Um, and, you know, we even see some caricatures of this, like, like people going crazy because they're drunk in the spirit. They're like, I'm not going to be drunk by the, the, fr- the vine of the fruit, but I'm going to be drunk in the spirit of God and like acting like a fool. I mean, honestly, acting like a fool because they're drunk in the spirit. But being in the spirit, I want to suggest it's actually not losing control. Because, I mean, one of the fruits of the spirit, right, is self-control. There's a sense that when God's presence within us, it actually leads us to have greater self-control. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God actually allows us to live life in the way that we were intended to. It allows us some of this fullness that comes with having the Spirit of God within us, filling us. And and what I would suggest, the Spirit of God doesn't lead to actually more self-control, but actually heightens our ability to make choices to promote God's will. The Holy Spirit actually gives clarity because God is not a God of chaos. He's not a God of disorder. I, w- I want to be clear here. It doesn't mean that to your eyes, it's not going to look chaotic at times because this doesn't mean that you're always going to understand the way God works. Sometimes it might seem like ludicrous craziness the way God works because things are not in our control because we're not God. God is God. Um, but some things God does, even though we don't know how to interpret, God is not a God of chaos. He's got to order. The point is, God brings clarity and sharpness of focus. If you're filled with the Spirit, it's like you get those glasses. And some of y'all, like maybe fellow nerds like me, when you got glasses early on, like early middle school, you're like, is this how everyone sees life? Unbelievable. Like, like that, right? You're like, wow. Like the Spirit does that, brings clarity and focus as we make decisions. Because so many of us, it's like we're trying to make decisions and our vision's like 2400. No wonder we're going off in all sorts of directions. But the Holy Spirit within us, it's like you're putting on the glasses. We see with clarity. We see with focus. The fullness of the Spirit lets us view life and our days with clear eyes. It helps us to order life rather than feeling like life is ruling us. 
Because you can't control everything, but you can control some things in your lives. And being full with the Spirit allows you to make certain decisions and choices. So just a couple of quick things about, about what it's saying here about being filled with the Spirit before we go on some practicals. One, just acknowledge from what we see here, being filled with the Spirit is a command. It doesn't seem to be a suggestion, but it's something we're, we're supposed to do. Um, it's also spoken of in the plural. So it's not just, okay, some of you are real holy moly types. Yo, you playing the guitar, you must be filled with spirit because you got like spirit-filled needing work, right? But you just kind of taking up space, you don't need a filling of spirit. It doesn't seem to say that. It's actually like a plural. Like you all be filled with the spirit. That's a good thing. It means we're one, united. There's also the sense this is in the passive. It's not like you can do something. It's like, let the Spirit fill you. This is a work of God in you. You be receptive. You lay down sin. You, you put yourself in a place to let the Spirit of God fill you. And I love this. This is also a present tense verb, which means this filling of the Spirit is meant to be a continual action. It's not just, okay, well, I'm a Christian now, I'm done. In one sense, yes, you have the Spirit of God within you, always walking with you, but the filling of the Spirit, that's a continual work. It's a continual work to walk in God's ways. So what does filling of the Spirit look like? Uh, one, it's a, it's a fullness in our hearts. It's a fullness in our hearts. And we see this as we look at verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. And some of you get really weirded out when it talks about all the singing in church. You're like, ah, you know what? Church is, I'd be good without a lot of singing stuff. And you're like, um, some people are going to take this literally and they're going to start being like, hello, Christy, how are you doing? You know, that's like, you're like, whoa, that's weird. Like, would we ever be a church? Like, I don't think it's necessarily talking about that. Because, um, you know, sometimes singing in church gets a real bad rap. Um, it's like some of us, we think it's like Christian karaoke. Like just weird, like. But man, singing in church, it's meant to be a powerful time with one another. We dwell on God's grace and his mercy and other attributes through song. Like sermon's good, but the music as well, it should be another powerful conduit. And for some of you, I mean, it's okay to say this. I won't get my feelings hurt. Some of you, the music speaks to you of God's way so much more powerfully than anything else does. That's good. That's really good. That we're singing about the name and the work of Jesus. We're giving thanks. We're being reminded of God's faithful love. We're singing about the cross and our souls are awakened as we fix our eyes on these ways. God stirs our hearts with affections to wake us up as we looked at last week. That last verse, wake up. Because spirit-filled people overflow in song. Never apologize for singing. I know in some churches it doesn't feel like it's cool to sing anymore. That's just rubbish because it's not biblical. We were created when the spirit is filling us to sing because it's an overflow of our hearts. Because it's not even so much about the words and the lyrics coming out and the melodies. It's the hearts that's being revealed through song. It's really practical then. Really practical. And we said this last week. This is why, and you can hear this as guilt. It's not meant to be guilt. This is an invitation. This is why I want all of you to be here as much as possible on time when we start singing. Let's be real. And we try not to be fake in our church. Right? Let's be real. In a lot of churches, the singing time is kind of called time to find your parking, right? It's like we look at our watch. We're like, all right. The loud guy, he's going to start talking maybe like 10, 25. If they got an announcement, okay, maybe 10, 30. So we got a little time to, all right, you done breakfast yet? Okay, we got some time. Ooh, there's a farmer's market going on. Okay, we'll give ourselves a few for immune. So we got two songs. That's about eight minutes. If it's really charismatic, like 11 minutes. Let's, let's find our parking so we can get in by the time church starts. We need to kill that kind of attitude. Because it's not just about being on time to check off our boxes that we're being a good Christian. Maybe some, that's how some of you think it. Good Christians come on time. Good Christians are even two minutes early to prepare their hearts. Whatever that means, right? <laughs> prepare your heart. Someone's like, okay, I'm preparing my heart. What do I? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my point being, when we sing together, that is the church doing one of the most church things, filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just filler. It's not even just to prepare us for the sermon. 
I really want to get rid of that mentality because I think too many churches, singing is just kind of to get us ready for the main course. It's like singing is like an appetizer, like a little bacon wrapped, whatever, right? And I hope it's a good bacon. Or man, if it can be on a sausage, that'd be great. Oh, avocado. It's, it's not just an appetizer. It's part of dining with the king. Like the gospel is communicated through the singing. Because one of the most valuable things you can do for one another is sing as loud as you can. I know this whole mask thing makes it feel real limited. Because sometimes, and you know, man, I, I feel I went through this with some of the stuff our family was going through. Sometimes you don't, go, you don't have the words to sing. Like you believe it's true, but you're just spent. You're exhausted. And man, I can't tell you how many times when when I was like either in the hospital or whatnot, just like, I feel like I didn't have words, but then to hear like on my phone, like listening to some worship music and people singing about God, I felt like it was like, oh yeah. I'm reminded of the goodness of God. I'm reminded of the God who walks through waters. I'm reminded that these things that seem so crushing and so overwhelming, God's not crushed by it. God's not overwhelmed by it. And you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to listening to sermons on podcasts, but that's like a 40 minute, 50 if they're like reformed, right? It's like really long. Man, you listen to one song and God can speak like a whole sermon through that. But here's what I also want to say. It's cool listening to like those professionals singing on my podcast. That's great. It's epic. I mean, their voice might be better than even some of you, right? But man, it was a whole nother matter getting back together in church. And some of y'all might thought I was a little crazy trying to push our church to come back to meet together. You're like, don't you believe that the coronavirus is real? I'm like, yeah, I read mean, Of course I believe it. But it's important to be together as much as we can in a safe way. Because one of the things you can't replicate is being surrounded by the cloud of the church, singing the truths of God together. And I'll tell you right now, this is not just going to puff you up. In some of my darkest moments, sitting up front, feeling crushed, when I hear, even muted by mass, hear the church singing these songs, there's something where God uses that to minister to me. Telling me, I know you want to give this up. I know you want to throw in this towel. Keep going. Keep going. God is real. God is with you. God is for you. You can't believe right now. Hear it through even the songs of your brothers and sisters in the church. So guys, sometimes we think singing is just for us. And like, do I feel like it today or not? It's not just about us. But you might be ministering to someone in the most amazing way who doesn't have the words to say it today because they are being crushed. And you sing for them. You minister to them. You let them take in the power of the Spirit of God through these beautiful things called songs. Because where so much of modern Christian faith, and I know I'm a preacher, so I might be biased, but it can feel really one-sided, right? Like almost more like entertainment. Like I just do all the information and you just kind of, man, our singing, it's a powerful, for us, powerful way for us to minister to one another. It is one of the best ways that we're all involved in ministering to one another. So we're full in our hearts through our singing. We're also see fullness in our gratitude, fullness in our gratitude. And we see this in verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be really, really clear here because I think this verse and others have kind of sometimes been taken out of context. Um, so you'll see something really horrible happen to someone, maybe in an, even in an abusive situation, someone just perpetrate like unabashed evil, terrible. And you get someone who really know their Baba good, who'll say, but you should give thanks for all of that because in the name of our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, God will use it for his glory and good. I, I want to be really clear here. There are some things that are evil, dark. And this is not saying we got some weird fatalistic kind of Christian faith where we say it's all good stuff from God when it's not. The gospel is God moves in spite of some of that darkness spite of the evil. And just for you to be really clear, if you've even been taught that, and you've been maybe even taught to celebrate things that have crushed you, 
because you need to give thanks because that's what a good Christian does. Having said that though, gratitude is a powerful expression of our faith. As we see here, we give thanks for everything, not so much for the circumstances themselves, but we give thanks for the God who is in control of those circumstances. We give thanks for the God who knows everything going on, that even horrible things in some sense have to pass through his hands. It doesn't mean he ordains it. It doesn't mean he's doing it to try to get our attention or punish us. Some things are just evil, but God is sovereign, providentially in control of things. You are not some pawn. You are not some puppet who has no ability. Like God loves you. God is with you. And we give thanks. And in a culture that is continually telling you why you should be dissatisfied. That's, that's marketing, right? That's why people go into marketing. How can we tell people their life stinks so that they'll get our product? That's social media. That's why we got all these filters. What is the best way I can portray this, this you know, influencing thing, whatever, and just try to show people how terrible their life is? And if you're not mindful, if you're not careful, if you're not attentive, All you're going to do is look at your life and see how everything seems to be falling short. If I just had a job like that, if I just lived in a city like those people with palm trees, Baltimore doesn't have palm trees. I'm cold. If my spouse just looked like how that person's spouse seems to be, All of these different things can start to weed into our soul. And some of y'all are looking at your spouse really hard right now. I said, there's not the time for that. We can do counseling after. <laughs> but what I would suggest is in a, in a culture that's continually telling you why you should be dissatisfied, gratitude is our antidote. Gratitude is our antidote. I'll be real. One of my biggest struggles in life is I am constantly dissatisfied. I'm always asking what's next. It's hard for me to be happy where I am. And that's just, if you want to pray for me, I'm really grateful. Some of you, I know you pray. You can pray for that, that I would actually be good because I'm always asking what's next. Thankful attitude has been one of the biggest things that God uses to keep me centered. Like I, I don't know how long I learned it, but that acronym for prayer, ACTS, ACTS, I still do it. Adoration, confession, the last S is supplication. You're asking for stuff. But that third T, thanksgiving, man, I still make that a part of my regular prayers to God. And I voice, even when I'm not feeling like it, even when I feel like life stinks, I hate it, I wish I had another life. In those moments, sometimes verbalizing, looking for actively, what can you be thankful for? Because I, you gotta know there are some stuff. As hard as there is, look for that. And actually thinking about it and putting it out there, say, oh yeah, God, I am thankful. Oh, wow. It it welcomes the presence of the Spirit. I would encourage you, make that a regular practice because there's fullness in our gratitude. And we see here, there's fullness in our humility. Fullness in our humility, verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And we're going to look at this more next week. (laughs) We're going to get into it. But submission, it might be one of the most unpopular ideas in the Bible, at least for our modern day terms. No one likes that word. That's like anathema right now. Submission. Oh, can we find a different translation for that word? But we're taught the importance of submission in a spirit-filled life. And, And when you look at this in the Greek, and God, I hope none of you are, but if you look at this in the Greek, verses 18 to 21 are actually one long sentence And mutual submission is the final result of the Spirit's filling. It's like you cannot detach mutual submission from being filled with Spirit. And just really practically then, this is one of the reasons why we need the church. Being part of the church is not just to get your spiritual fix. It's not just to get your spiritual vitamin, get your little saying for the day. It's, it's we, we need a place where we are living out this process of mutual submission with other people in a spiritual context. That's why, I mean, we, we highlighted the opportunity to serve. It would be disingenuous to say we don't have needs. Like, that would be really false to me because we got needs. But you need to know the main reason that we want you to serve is because it's a way for you to become more Christ-like. It's a way for you to grow in being filled with the Spirit because some of the ways that you serve, it's an act of mutual submission. 
some of the ways that we serve, it's a choice that you're making to serve others in humility. And I I just want to encourage you that being part of a church is not just taking in, but it's got to be putting yourself in a place to give yourself in serving others. But it's beyond just some of these tangible acts. Just being in community itself is an act of submission. And I I tell this to our elders all the time. And if if you don't know our elders, uh, you should be very thankful. We've got a great set of elders in our church. They have been giving a lot of time to the church recently in different ways. And I tell them this every time we meet. I am so thankful for you guys. Because every time you are doing something for the church, I know that you are giving up something else that you could be doing for yourself. Every time you're praying, every time you're meeting, every time you're counseling someone, every time you're fixing something, you are giving up, you're submitting in a sense to the church and to Christ what you could be doing for yourself. And I hope this church knows how blessed they are to have you. I mean, that's, but that's, that's, that's all of you, right? Being part of a church, can we be real, real? Man, sometimes it can feel like a drag, doesn't it? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Is that really whole, like pagan sounding? Let's be real. Having a place where people expect you to show up regularly, a place where people are asking you to volunteer without getting paid, a place where people are asking you when you're already kind of strapped for money to give generously, a place where people are asking you when you feel like you don't have much free time already to say you're going to give up some of that for the blessing of someone else. It sounds kind of ludicrous. I mean, it sounds, it sounds a little strange that you're giving up your rights to something else. But we see here, as we submit to one another, we're pointing to Christ. One of the best ways I think about submission is you don't submit because you feel like submitting, but when you submit and you find yourself not liking it very much, it's a reminder why you need Jesus. I don't know too many people that like to submit. I don't know. I just haven't met them, Right? But God calls us to. And when we see our heart fighting that, when we're like, why would I submit to that person? They are a jerk. Why would I submit? When we find ourselves, it points us to the God-man. His name is Jesus, who came to this earth. And he was fully king. He had every right. We're just on our face the whole time, just 33 years, face on the ground, everyone in humanity. But what does he do? He takes off his clothes. He starts washing the nasty, grimy feet of his followers. Submitting himself to serve them. Humbly giving us a picture of what it means to be part of this community. Even the greatest of the great get down on their knees to serve their friends. Serve their community. I want to welcome you to submitting to one another in the fear of Christ it allows us to be in the spirit, but it's also pointing us to Christ. And as we take all of this together, fullness of the spirit, guys, this is, you really got to take this with you. It's not meant to be confined, confined to a religious gathering. Like being filled with the spirit, it should not be something that's just done here. Like let's be filled with the spirit so we can have this incredible experience. That's great. Let's do that. Let's hit that hard. But guys, part of being filled with the spirit is to send you out in that same filling of the spirit. And that's our mission, right? Transforming lives, transforming communities. We do what we do here in our groups, in different serving opportunities, gathered here. We sing, we give, we're together. All that's epic and it's beautiful. But guys, if it stops right here, I really feel like we're losing why we're doing all this in the first place. It's to fill us with the spirit so that as you go back to your own communities, your families, your workplaces, your neighborhoods, your gyms, whatever it might be, you are being filled with that same spirit in things that don't always look so quote-unquote spiritual. Because it's one thing to be filled in the spirit when we're in like a spiritual religious setting like this, but man, you're meant to live like that in some of the places that seem very unspiritual for you. But that's why it's important what we do here. Fullness of the spirit in your life in situations that don't seem all that spiritual. The presence of God that will allow you to make the most of your time. That will allow you to order your priorities correctly in the will of God. So in a moment as we approach this table to dine with the king, 
I, I hope you guys love the time of communion. I hope it's not just a checkoff point in the service, like that's what a good person does. But this is a reminder of the God who desires to be with us, who welcomes us to dine with him as he did with his own followers. Before you come to the table, though, if I, could, if I could just encourage you, one of the best things you can do is let God reveal what you are being filled by rather than his spirit. Before you come to the table right away, ask, what am I? Maybe it is alcohol for some of us, but maybe it's a whole bunch. Maybe it's like really good looking things. But what are you looking to, to fill that sense of busyness or pain or weary or burden or longing, whatever it might be, that's not God. And before you come to the table to dine with him, lay that down before God. That's called repentance, right? Take those things and lay it before God. Say, Lord, thank you for reminding me that this cannot fill me. It'll just make me more thirsty. Thank you for inviting me to the table. Lay down those things for the filling of something far greater, more fulfilling. As Jesus said to that woman in that amazing story, that that invitation for a spring of water that doesn't run dry. Don't you want that? As we read in Revelation twenty two seventeen, both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. God wants to give you. Guys, stand with me. As our worship team comes up, as we sing these songs and pray and get ready to receive the communion, You can come down the middle aisles, get one of the elements and take it back around the outside and bring it to your seat. We take it all together as a sign of unity here. But as you prepare to do that, can you think about that one thing I said about the Holy Spirit? It's a reminder that God desires to be with you. And as you come to this table, a reminder of the Jesus, the God man who came to this earth to be with us and leaves us his spirit to remind us you are never alone. As hard as your life is, as much as again, you might not even like your life, that there is one who loves you beyond compare. Now we will take this as a reminder of the spirit who dwells with us and reminds us that God wants to be with you. Lord, help us. God, so many of us are drowning or just getting through, struggling maybe. Maybe some of us feel great, Lord, and that is we celebrate that. But I particularly pray for my friends here, Lord, maybe it's been hard and we almost feel guilty when we hear about filling of the Spirit because we feel like that's for some special people or we've disqualified ourselves from that or why can't we have that? Why are we struggling so much? Lord, I pray for this invitation that's some not magical thing, but it's a gift that's been given us because of Jesus and we would receive it. We will lay down our sin, lay down the things that encumber us, lay down those things, Lord, that we've been looking to fill our souls and say we want something better, something that will not run dry, the very presence of God. So Holy Spirit, pray that you would help reveal those things in us and that before we come up here right away, we lay that at your feet for something better. Thank you, Jesus, that you model for us what it means to be led by the Spirit in all you did. And Lord, we just, you're our hope. We lift our eyes up to you. So I would invite you to sing, pray, come up, receive an element, and we'll take that together in a little bit.